Welcome back to another edition of the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, John Adams and Adam Sparks. You know preseason practice is here because college football reporters everywhere are tweeting little snippets of highlights from preseason camp. Adam, I saw you were uh, tweeting out a a highlight uh, earlier today of uh, wide receivers going through a little orange cone drill, catching a tennis ball. Uh, Do you know, when when are they going to replace the footballs with those tennis balls during the games? Yeah, I mean, it's it's harder to catch a tennis ball, uh, I would guess. I I don't know, maybe it's not for some people. If you're wearing a helmet, it's a little harder to pick up. Yeah, I love these little... um, imaginative drills my favorite is with the d line or the d linemen and uh, linebackers where they roll those huge donuts and you go and tackle a donut <laughs> i guess a donut rolling is similar enough to a player uh but a little squishier <laughs> and the, yeah the, this was the ones where you, you slap uh what well, looks like two big crayons if you go to twitter my videos and you can see it, it looks like two big crayons that the coach wears on his uh on his hands he slapped those away you catch a tennis ball and so it gets you better. There's absolutely no doubt it gets you much, much better. So, John, what's your fav- favorite uh, preseason drill that you've seen in your seven decades covering SEC football? Um, seven or eight, I guess. Um, you know, when, when Adam was saying that, I was thinking about, you know, what is the drill? It, it's different it, different names for different teams. And this is when they get into contact work. I always like the bull in the ring. Uh, bull I'm, in the ring. Butch Jones loved that drill. Uh, yes, did he call he did. it bull in the ring? I think he called it something else. No, I'm sure. It, I know it was something he copied from another coach. It wasn't original. I know that, but I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's basically a guy in the middle and everybody's coming at him from different angles and he has to show his uh, strength and stick to itiveness and just sheer determination and fighting them off. Yes, it's like Festivus. We have feats of strength. But uh, <laughs> we're going to get into maybe some of the, the strengths of Tennessee later in the, the preseason. But for, for today's episode, want to try to hone in on maybe some of the top question marks or the top concerns facing this team. I mean, look, we, we know some of the some of the good things. Hendon Hooker's back as, as returning starter. Um, after a really fine season last year as, as quarterback, as Adam asked Josh Heupel the other day, does Hendon need to be more aggressive and maybe risk a, a few more interceptions for the chance of uh, some bigger plays? And Heupel said, no, no, don't don't throw any interceptions. We, everything, everything's good there. So Tennessee likes what it, what it has in its quarterback, of course, and, and it's got some skill position talent returning. But when you guys think about number one question, you have facing this team. I don't want five or six. I'm going to make it hard on you guys. So give me your number one concern or question you have um, about this Tennessee team uh, as preseason gets underway here. I want John to go first on this one because I'm already bending the rules of my what my answer is going to be. Uh-oh, you got five things lined up. Less wow, than five, I, was, one. I was not ready for that. John, so, what's the biggest question you have facing this Tennessee team? Well, uh, and a big picture concern would be, can it stop teams from scoring? I mean, the defense is still problematic. And I read, uh, I read Adam's story on all the DBs available for duty. You know, it's a cast of thousands basically, but we don't know if they're five guys and 
in your basic defense if there are five guys that can cover people. We didn't see that in the in the bowl game against Purdue when I've already forgotten the quarterback's name, Aiden O'Connell, I think it was. Uh, never heard of him before and will probably forget his name before the season opener, but he passed for over 500 yards and he was not on the Heisman list. So that to me is is the biggest concern, but Adam can go be more specific and go more in depth than I can. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't get the parameters or maybe I didn't read them close enough, Blake, before the pod, <laughs> because I have a, I have a one, a and a one B and, and okay. I'll explain. so the early season concern is the defensive secondary. The late season concern is running back to me, secondary early season concern. And, John alluded to this. We've talked about it a little bit on the pod before is that they've got probably about 12 guys that are trying to fill five spots plus, you know, three or four backup spots in the rotation. It's not so much that they can't figure out who the two corners are, the two safeties and the star position, sort of a hybrid safety linebacker nickel. Um, that's what star is. Um, but it's, it's more so they have to figure out where each of these guys fit, which position, and then try to figure out the combinations, then trying to figure out who's best at each position. I mean, you know, I counted like seven guys that could be at star position, seven guys that have kind of been mentioned as possibilities over the past few months. Um, three of them are corners, four of them are safeties. So which is a star, which is a corner, which is a safety? You figure all that out, then you've got to figure out the combinations of who goes where. And, and some of it, especially at the star position, will be, do we have a good option here? And if you don't have a good option, then you kind of got to go back to Trayvon Flowers, for example, who's your starting safety. And you move him there, then you've got to move other people at safety. So there's just a whole lot of combinations you have to figure out in, in a month's time. And so the first half of the season, you've got what I would think were toss-up games with Pittsburgh and with Florida and at LSU. And if you don't have the secondary figured out, those teams could exploit that. And so that's a problem for the first half of the season. I think they'll get it figured out by the second half of the season. But first half of the season, I think the secondary is going to be sort of a work in progress. Second half of the season uh, issue, I think, could be running back. And I say that because, you know, if you played Ball State tomorrow, which that's the opener on September 1st, or if you you play Pittsburgh, which is the second game, you could go you could go to battle with, with Jabari Small as a running back, your returning starter. Jalen Wright is beat up right now a little bit, but he'll he'll be fine by the time you get to uh, to the games. Uh, you could you could go into those games with those two guys because that's the two guys that you had in the bowl game, and the, and that went that went fine. Um, but if you progress into you know week six, week seven, you're getting into Alabama, uh, Kentucky, Georgia. When you get into that second half of the season, running back. Uh, could be an issue because you you could have depth concerns. Think of last year, Jabari Small and Tyon Evans, early in the year, they went back and forth. One was injured, the other would play, uh, and they made it work. Uh, by the end of the season, you only had one of them available. Jalen Wright was having to play a lot. Tyon Evans transferred, which that can always happen now. And, you know, you've just got to have at least three, probably four running backs I'd say four running backs at the beginning of the year to get into the second half of the season. And right now they got small and injured Jalen Wright. Justin Williams Thomas is a freshman um, who who has some promise, but we'll see if that when that happens. And Dylan Sampson's a freshman. I don't I don't know that he's going to factor anywhere. Laneith Whitehead is out for the season. That's your power back. They don't have enough backs, I think, right now 
to get deep into the second half of the season. So I think that'll be an issue once you get, uh, you know, into October, November. See, I think with those observations, uh, secondary is, is one that probably tops my list. So I'm in agreement with you guys there. We saw what Tennessee's secondary looks like with without Elante Taylor in the bowl game. Of course, Elante Taylor, last year's star cornerback, opted out of the bowl game. And Tennessee, as, as John mentioned, got shredded. Its pass coverage did by Purdue in that bowl game. So, you know, you, you lose Elante Taylor, you lose Theo Jackson. Those are your top guys in the secondary from last year. And Adam, as you said, there's a bunch of dudes, but we don't really know if they're going to adequately replace the production of, of what was lost. I think running back, I, you, you bring up a fair point with depth. I think one reason I'm probably less concerned about Tennessee at running back is I saw Ish Witter rush for over 1,000 yards in Josh Heupel's offensive system at Missouri. And if you've never heard of Ish Witter, no offense to Ish, but there's probably a reason for that because Ish was not Jim Brown or Barry Sanders. He was kind of a, a mediocre run-of-the-mill SEC back, and, and he became a 1,000-yard rusher in, in Heupel's system. So, yeah, you got to have bodies there, but I think I think you know Heupel can figure out a way to get it done there. But one more I would add to the list would be interior of the defensive line. Matthew Butler was so good for Tennessee last season, got drafted, and as I look at these defensive linemen they have, of course we know you know on the on the edge um, they have Byron Young and um, and Tyler Barron. I, I think they got some pass rushers there on the edge, but on the interior of the line, I mean, it's like a grab bag of names. I mean, maybe headlined by Omari Thomas and Elijah Simmons, guys that have been around the program for a long time, but haven't really broken out yet, I would say. But you know, I was uh, conversing with some Tennessee fans recently, and I mentioned, you know, that Tennessee needs some guys to step up on the defensive line. And they, and I, I said, I mentioned Thomas and Simmons as maybe two guys that could do it. And then, one Tennessee fan came back to me and rattled off like 10 other names. And I think that's sort of the problem on the D line is like, there's a bunch of dudes, but I don't know that any of these guys are much better than the next. I think you could line up 10 of them in a row and be like, yeah, I mean, they're all kind of interchangeable and not in an interchangeable, like Alabama or Georgia dominant D lineman way, but just sort of space fillers. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of a element of faith here blind or otherwise that Tennessee staff can uh, elevate a guy that we don't know that much of. We hadn't seen that much of uh, so far. It goes on on both sides of the ball. So, you know, Cedric Tillman last year had not have done much of anything in his career. He becomes a thousand yard receiver. Uh, the staff did had a lot to do with that. Uh, Matthew Butler, as you mentioned last year, had not heard a lot of, from him. And suddenly he's an all SEC caliber player and NFL draft pick. So there's the belief, I think, that well, let's just let's just run it back. Just just give us a whole bunch of names, and we'll turn one or two of these guys into you know we'll, they'll have their breakout season because of how we use them in the scheme and how we develop them. M- maybe that works. If that happens again this year with a few of those positions, then you know that's two for two. Um, but you're really relying on what happened last year to repeat itself. Um, and, and let me make another point too of. The initial list that we had of of problems, I think if we're going down this dark path of what could go wrong and concerns, 
I think we also have to look at sort of the domino effect. So running back, is that an issue? Maybe, maybe not. But if it's even a little bit of an issue, then you suddenly have Hendon Hooker running the ball a whole lot more, especially in short yardage situations, than you would have otherwise if you're thin at running back. That can lead to a Hendon Hooker injury, and you've got bigger problems there. If you if you can't answer the, the questions in the secondary, then suddenly you've got issues with your pass rush because the coverage isn't good enough. The pass rush isn't going to get there because the ball's already gone. And so, you know, when we list these maybe small concerns, those small concerns can turn into bigger concerns if they're if they're not addressed early in the year. I, I think again, uh, one of the concern is is sort of it's related to the schedule. I, I think Tennessee will face some some good quarterbacks this season. Uh, maybe more so than usual. There's not a Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh, but uh, Kadon Slovis from Southern Cal, uh, if he turns out to be really good, I mean, that could be a factor. Uh, my point is that there are quarterbacks and receivers, South Carolina comes to mind, that can, re- that can test Tennessee secondary. So I think Tennessee needs to be prepared to score a lot of points, which I think it can just as it did last season. Adam, let me ask you this, because we, we've touched on you know a couple defensive areas there, secondary and defensive line, and you threw out running backs. But what about left tackle? Because you know I think collectively, Tennessee fares pretty well on the offensive line. They returned four starters. Uh, they're going to have Darnell Wright at, at right tackle, it seems like, filling that spot from Cade Mays. And they have the interior of their line with Jerome Carvin, Cooper Mays, and Javante Spragans. But what about left tackle? I mean, as we all know, that's a huge position for any college football team. And I do think the tempo and the quick stuff that Josh Heupel does protects his quarterback a little bit. Jeremy Pruitt should have taken a page out of that book as his quarterbacks were pinatas across three years. So I, I think Heupel's system does protect the quarterback in a way, but still you need to have someone at least semi, semi-competent semi there at left tackle. So what what does that competition sort of look like? Yeah, I mean, I think this this conversation goes right back to the domino effect I mentioned before. We, we've heard early in camp that um, left tackle, yes, that protects Hendon Hooker's blind side, but we can we can maneuver the protections. We can shift the protections, usually with the running back, um, or many times with the running back, to to make up for those deficiencies. If left tackles not can't can't handle his man, then you can bring a running back over there. In in the same breath, also this week we've heard that what's the issue with the running backs? Well, it's pass protection. So <laughs> if you know you. You you've got uh, you've got a situation there, and then a second situation that that isn't necessarily fixing the first one. Um, and Lenith Whitehead, by the way, who's out for the season, was their best blocking running back. The freshmen have to get much better there in, in that area. Jalen Wright has to get better in that area. Jabari Small even does somewhat. So uh, left tackle could certainly be an issue for a number of reasons. I, I think the feeling was that Gerald Mincy, there was sort of fingers crossed that Gerald Mincy could fill that spot. He's the Florida transfer, came in as an early enrollee, so he was here in the spring. Since he was the new ingredient, I think the feeling was, boy, it sure would be great if he could fill that spot and you could move forward. He was serviceable, I think, but the jury was still out leaving spring, which tells you they weren't certain. Otherwise, they could have 
said he's the guy, he's the new guy, he's good enough, he can do it. Uh, Dane Davis is serviceable, but he's he was injured. I think he's better as a sort of a swing guy, uh, as a backup. Uh, Jeremiah Crawford, they thought a year ago, or maybe not a year ago, but six to nine months ago, that he would be the guy that would be there. They thought he showed promise last season as a backup. But then he got into the uh, he got into the bowl game and got blown up a couple times, and Hendon Hooker got blown up a couple times because he was at, he was at tackle. So there's not a surefire answer there. Again, this is one of those where there's three options. Now the the optimistic UT fan can say, yeah, but a lot of teams have multiple questions on their offensive line. Tennessee has four starters back, and they have really just one hole, and that's at left tackle. But that's a pretty big hole if you can't fill it. I don't know if this qualifies as a concern, but I I wonder about how much Tennessee's offense will have to adjust based on what adjustments defensives make against their offense. Because last year, I don't know how seriously a lot of opponents took Tennessee. I mean, it's not like you're getting ready for Alabama and Georgia. And I think think teams are, particularly defensive coordinators in the offseason that are having to play Tennessee – would have put a little more emphasis on what Tennessee was doing offensively and why it caused so many problems. I, I think the one reason I have confidence in that area, John, is because Tennessee's not the only team running a system like this, and it's kind of worked across the board. I mean, I mean, we saw Missouri have success in Josh Heupel's system when he was the offensive coordinator there. Uh, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss pretty much run this system at, at Ole Miss, and, and Matt Corral was perfect for this system. Uh, we'll see how they transition to a new quarterback, uh, but basically they're identical systems. And Ole Miss had one of the best, one of the better offenses in the league last year. And then also Arkansas, you know, with Kendall Bryles as their offensive coordinator, they run a really, I mean, it's basically the same system at multiple places. So it's almost like, yeah, you you keep expecting defenses to adjust to this, but it's like. I don't know, it's been around for a while, and it, it keeps having success at, at different places. I mean, really what it dates back to is this is basically the Art Bryles system at Baylor. It, it's, it, it draws a lot of inspiration from that. I mean, it's not – I mean, you know the way these college football coaches are. Nobody's really reinventing the wheel these days. And a lot of what Josh Heupel does and Lane Kiffin does um, and Kendall Bryles and Sam Pittman there at Arkansas, it, it all traces back to – to Baylor's system, which we know, at least on the field, worked work really well for Art Browse. This would be adjustments on both sidelines. So if I remember right, Tennessee will face four new defensive coordinators uh, of teams that they would normally play, that they played last year, that replaced their defensive coordinator. So that would be a new look. That would be a different defensive coordinator that Tennessee has to prepare for, but also will have sort of a new plan against Tennessee. The other half of the schedule, so to speak, uh, will be guys that they have faced before. So does the second time around, sort of like in baseball, the second time through the order, are you better or are you worse? Um, so the, the opponents will make that, uh, that that adjustment, and we'll see how that goes. Tennessee also has to make an adjustment because last year they had the best scoring margin in the country in the first quarter, and they had a pretty good scoring margin uh, in the third quarter. What that usually tells you, and I think it's this case, is that the coaching is better than the playing. That the script that Josh Heupel puts together at the beginning of the game is, has a lot to do with how they jump ahead so quickly and have so much success in the first quarter. And it has a lot to do with them coming out after halftime, after some adjustments, 
following that revamped script and doing a whole lot in the third quarter, it it fades in the second and fourth quarters because that's where adjustments have been made by the opponents and you're just relying on talent of your players. So th- they've got to do better than that. You can't just, you know, I think it was South Carolina, they were up 28 to nothing in the first quarter. Missouri, they had that kind of lead also. You can't necessarily, you can, you can do that in a lot of games against those type of opponents and win those games, but you're not going to make that next step if you're then getting pummeled in the, in the second and especially fourth quarter. So Tennessee has to make some adjustments on their own. All right, guys, I want to I want to change gears here and, and close with a thought about Tennessee's quarterback situation. We, we know Hinton Hooker's the guy. He's been the guy since um, about week three last year when he took the reins. Uh, I guess it was, was it Florida or maybe even the week before that in the, the FCS uh, game, I believe, was was around that, that point in time. But Joe Milton went down in week two with injury uh, against Pittsburgh, and, and really Hinton Hooker's been the guy ever since. However, we heard from Joe Milton this week, and our, our colleague uh, at Knox News, Mike Wilson, had a story recently about Joe Milton's decision to stay at Tennessee, knowing that he's going to enter the season as the backup quarterback in an era where so many guys, if they know they're not going to be the starter, poof, they're gone into the transfer portal. And, and Milton was asked about that and his quote, you know, if he was thinking about transferring or thinking in the offseason about transferring. And Milton's quote was, no reason to. He said, quote, I'm having fun. I'm learning something new every day. I'm enjoying life. Now, I'll add one cautionary bit here because we heard sort of a similar comment from Brian Maurer last year of like, you know, I'm a Tennessee man through and through. I, I'm I'm staying here. I finished what I started. And then like two weeks later, Brian Maurer wasn't where he wanted to be on the depth chart. And well, see you later. He's in the transfer portal. But it does seem like Joe Milton's here for the long haul, even if it means being a backup quarterback. And again, that's just not a role that a lot of guys want to be in in today's college football. How surprised or how interested were you by some of what, what you heard from, from Joe Milton? Well, here, here's the thing. As we sit here in August of 2022, I think if Joe Milton returns next year and Tennessee does not add a significant quarterback to the transfer portal after this season, I think it's a better chance than not that Joe Milton would be the starter in the season opener of 2023. I, I'm not saying that's necessarily who I would pick, but Taven Jackson is probably going to have to get into a game and show something on a game day for for him to move past Joe Milton. Um, Nico Yamaliava, the five-star quarterback that's coming in the spring, Probably is going to look really good when he's here, but I don't know that they're going to put the pressure on him to just throw him out there as a true freshman um, on day one. Seems like they would probably, you know, work him in a little bit or maybe put him into a live competition during next season. Um, Maybe the same thing with Taven Jackson. So I think it's a pretty decent likelihood that Joe Milton leaves the leaves this season and enters next with a pretty decent chance of a, of being the starter, not the starter for all of next season, but to get a chance in the opener because, you know, they're going to want to just be able to just run through their offense. And I think Josh Hoppel has the belief that if he has somebody that can just run the offense out there and make the throws that he needs to make, um, they can, they can win games and they can score points. And I think he would, he would feel at least somewhat stable with Joe Milton starting the season off. I think that's why Joe Milton's staying because he knows there's a chance he could start. 
What do you think, John? Joe Milton starting QB 2023? I just don't see that happening. It's not as though Joe Milton is bereft of experience. He's been around a while. He basically had the job at at Michigan. It was his job to lose, and he lost it. He had the job at Tennessee, and he lost it. Uh, we all know he has a tremendous arm, and I think it's it's nice that he wants to stick around Tennessee and, and compete for the starting job and all that good stuff, but I really question his decision-making. And I don't know if another year as a backup quarterback is going to improve that. When he ran out of bounds against Ole Miss in the in the dying seconds of that game, I'm, uh, that was just stunning to me. So I just don't think he has has the real the I don't know the the intangibles that go with that position. I don't think he has them, and I I think his decision making and his accuracy have to be in question. I'd like to see what Tavian Jackson can do. If I'm the coach, I would want to see what he can do in a game situation, as as Adam mentioned, because I've seen what you get from Joe Milton, and I don't know why we should expect a lot more than what we've already seen. Well, in the the wild card here is Nico Iamaleava. To pause there and think about that pronunciation. I wrote a whole column about how to pronounce his name, and I, I still, I still str- struggle with it, and I'm not sure I got it right. But we know what Nico looks like in pajama pants. Uh, I mean, it, it looks looks amazing when he's slinging it around there out in those those orange pants. But how's he going to look like in pads with the, you know, with with the live action firing there? Five star QB. Maybe he comes in from on day one in 2023, and he's the guy. It's not unheard of anymore. Uh, even in big time college football, where a true freshman can step in on in day one, but again, it's going to be different throwing an eleven and on eleven against SEC defense versus throwing in your pajama pants uh, on in seven on seven ball. And so that's where, you know, depending on what we see or don't see from Taven Jackson this year, to Adam's point, maybe Joe Milton is valuable entering that twenty twenty three season. If nothing else is just like a guy that can maybe hold down the fort as, as some of those younger quarterbacks develop. But I mean, you're right, John, like at some point you got to say like, Hey, I believe what I've, what I've seen up to this juncture, which is that Joe Milton is probably better as a backup than as, as a starter. If we want to get a little closer to, to this answer for next season, I would circle the date, October 22nd. That's the Tennessee Martin game because you know, non-conference games early on, Ball State, Akron, those are two of the first three games. I don't think Josh Hopple is going to be thinking about next season there. He's if if you if that's a blowout and you want to bring in a backup quarterback, it's probably Joe Milton to finish it out. Maybe maybe Taven Jackson gets a few snaps at the end of that game. Either of those games. But the Tennessee Martin game is the week after Alabama. You're going to want Hinton Hooker or uh, for Joe Milton, or are you going to give Taven Jackson maybe an entire half to play the game? And that's maybe where we see Taven Jackson's most most playing time because after that you don't have a non-conference game left. And, you know, Missouri and South Carolina and Vandy down the stretch, you're, you're going to make sure you just win those games. So UT Martin game. If Taven Jackson has not played by the end of the UT Martin game, you know, you could have some drama in the offseason about what, what he's going to do. I just don't know if coaches will go to a third quarterback – you make a great point. UT Martin would be the place to do it, but I've seen gone through other seasons with other coaches and they have that opportunity to give somebody some reps, see what they could do on game day 
and they just pass on it. Uh, so who knows? John, where's Harrison Bailey at these days? You were you were still all aboard that Harrison Bailey bandwagon about this time last year. Maybe 2023, Harrison Bailey just returns to Knoxville triumphantly, and he's QB1. And Sorry, Nico, you got to sit and wait behind John Adams, man, HB15. Um, that worked for Stetson Bennett. I think he left Georgia, went to Juco route, came back, and lo and behold, he's a national championship quarterback. So – Maybe that's what another Georgia product has in mind. He's at UNLV. Uh, not sure he's going to win the starting job, uh, but he's there competing for it. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, if he doesn't win the starting job at UNLV, all that means is it's prime time to transfer again. But Joe Milton says he's not transferring. He's here for the long haul. Uh, we'll be here for the long haul with you as well. Uh, be sure to check out all of Adam's coverage Uh, throughout the preseason. He really is doing the Lord's work by going out there on these hot August days and covering preseason camp. You can find it all at knoxnews.com, and we will be back with you here next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.